Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of, be of the highest good for all present and those listening, so mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Far more powerful than religion, far more powerful than money, or even land or violence, are symbols. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the 173rd episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of author Leah Habel. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. And you can call me not Carr. I'm Ode's mother, Gwen. <laughs> yes, Carr is not with us again this week because he has a terrible migraine. Terrible. So he is tapped out on this one. Yes. But unfortunately, that is just something he experiences from mm-hmm. time to time. And has forever. Yes. For as long as I've known him. So. Yep. So this isn't the first time he's been out for a migraine and it won't be the last. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but we are here and we are excited. Mm-hmm. We don't have any announcements to share. Yeah, I was going to say, housekeeping <laughs> is going to be real brief because I think uh, we've done everything in previous episodes. So if you want to know what's happening or not happening soon, mm-hmm. you can go listen to the last episode where we broke it all down in so detail. Pretty much we're not doing anything. No. Because everything's getting canceled. Everything was canceled. Because of fucking yeah. COVID. It's COVID but, you know. still here, unfortunately. And there's that word so that we can keep our R rating status. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to take it away from us. Probably not. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm willing to, you know, uh, keep going. Swan asks, Gwen, how's your book coming? <laughs> I haven't started reworking it yet. Right. Because she, I'm still she, working. She got uh, quite a few chapters into it and I then did. and then started working her seasonal job and hasn't been writing because she's well, been working no, that's her seasonal not, job. That's not exactly true. Well, I'm, that's true. You sort of dropped off while your mother was dying. Yes. yes. So I stopped working on it during that whole period with my mom. Mm-hmm. And then I've been working a seasonal job. Yep. And I just, honestly, I get home and I pretty much crash, crash and go to sleep. But that stops in February. Yes. So the book will be getting retooled more, and more attention soon. I keep swearing to myself I'm going to start writing for the blog again. And <laughs> here we are. We're almost in bulk and I still haven't written a post yet. Forgive me, Brigid. It's you know, coming. Just, just set yourself reasonable goals. <laughs> Well, I wanted to write one for, for Brigid, mm-hmm. you know, for Invoke, so I got to get it done. Okay. Get it done this week. Um, but we're not doing holiday episodes anymore. No. We did them for two years in a row, and we're never doing them again. You can go back and listen to those if you want. <laughs> I know some people do annually listen to those episodes, apparently, because they talk about it in the Discord. Maybe, and I'm not going to say, I'm going to say never say never, because you never know. We may go back and visit some. Not this year, maybe though. Maybe not all. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe just to highlight the favorites. Maybe we'll just do a holiday episode someday in the future and where we just cover all of them again. We could do that. Um, that would but, be interesting. <laughs> but it's not in the books, so we'll put it that no, way. No, it's going to be a while uh-huh. before that happens. So I believe that's it for housekeeping. We are house kept and house swept. Hey, yay! We're going to be doing a more informational rather than debate style, I guess, mm-hmm. um, episode. Wynn and I have each picked up a couple of our favorite sacred symbols, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about them. So, Quinn, what's your first sacred symbol? Well, I'm going to go with the obvious one. Mm-hmm, I kind of figured. 
the pentacle. Uh-huh. Although it was interesting because I've, I've always looked at the pentacle and the pentagram. I'm going to talk about both uh-huh. because they are a little different. Mm-hmm. I've always looked at the pentacle from the aspect of first coming from Wicca mm-hmm. and then neo-paganism from a solitary perspective mm-hmm. where really it is a religious symbol of what your path may be, you know, whether it's Wicca or, or witchcraft or whatever, it can be a symbol mm-hmm. uh, of who you are. But it is also a symbol of power and a symbol of protection. Mm-hmm. It symbolizes for many people the, the higher self and the, it could be the cardinal directions. It can be also considered the four classical elements plus spirit spirit yeah so describe what a pentacle is okay first visually visually a pentacle is the five-pointed star Mm -hmm. inside a circle yes that's the pentacle and it is often used as a talisman or an amulet Mm -hmm. it can be used as a magical object it can be used um, within thelema in particular as a magical invocation it's also used as discs in the Rider Waite Smith tarot deck. Yes. Yeah. We often call that suit coins mm-hmm. in other decks, and it's it's often represented by literal coinage. Um, but yeah, in the traditional, yeah. it is um, pentacles. And it has moved on into other many many mm-hmm. other decks as pentacles. Yeah. If I remember, if I read that correctly, Rider Waite Smith was the first one to use the pentacles to in represent that, in, that in, that, in that fashion. To represent as, as sort of wealth and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the material. But it was interesting because I found out that the pentacle actually has a long history. It was first depicted in the 1500s in the grimoires, the Heptamira and the Key of Solomon. Ah. And they don't just use your standard star in a circle. They are mm-hmm. very fancy. They have little squiggles and other that. symbols and things right. work to make within them. Well, because they're using them as magical seals. Right as talismans and, and as, as magical objects. So the, the pentacle, the base pentacle, is just the five-pointed star. And the inside and the circle. The circle. I'm, I'm sure everyone already knows this, but traditionally you just draw the five-pointed star with one line. Because mm-hmm. you can just... Yeah. It, you never have to pick up your pen, basically. Exactly. You could even draw the circle with the same line mm-hmm. if you really wanted to. And it's interesting because according to Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, it, the pentacle was to uh, foreknow all future things, command the whole of nature, and have power over devils and angels, and to do miracles. So it was basically just the ultimate power symbol. It was the as far ultimate, as he was concerned. As far as he was concerned, it was the ultimate power symbol, creating a seal with the pentacle as a base. Mm-hmm. You could do pretty much anything you wanted to do. And you had control over the forces of nature and mm-hmm. the spirit world and it, you know, everything. Everything. The Golden Dawn did use the Earth Pentacle as one of four elemental weapons, quote unquote, of the adept. And other pentacles were used for the evocation of spirits, you know, provide protection, mm-hmm. things of that nature. And so my understanding is the pentacle is very much a part of ceremonial magic. Mm-hmm. Anything that inherited from those 15th century grimoires. Right, exactly. In the modern birth of Wicca, the pentacle was also brought into that tradition, into that... By Gardner, who was associated with several of those organizations. Exactly. And so it was meant to be a symbol of the path, but also of power and protection, and used on the altar to bring protection within the circle. I've seen some people talk about circles... Not necessarily whole covens, but mm-hmm. circles when you do magic should be five people so mm-hmm. that there's one person to stand in for each point of the star. That makes perfect sense, yeah. yeah. Talk about the okay. pentagram now. 
Describe the difference. It's just the star. No circle. No circle. So pentagram is just the star by itself. The pentacle will always have the circle. But the pentagram has actually been around for thousands of years. It was used in ancient Greek and Babylonian cultures. It was first found on Sumerian pottery circa around 3500 BCE. It was used as a symbol for Ishtar or Marduk. Greeks used it as late as 7th century BCE. Pythagoras used it as part of his symbology. It, his mathy things. His mathy things. And it was used as a symbol of mutual recognition and well-being. And then from 350 to 150 BCE, it stood as a symbol for Jerusalem and was also used to represent justice, mercy, and wisdom to the Hebrew people. And they marked the five points of the star with a Hebrew letter, and it spelled Jerusalem, apparently. So, and then, of course, the pentagram was also adopted by the church. Mm-hmm. Yes, was, they will not tell you this so No, much. they will not tell you this. Now that it has a different reputation. Yeah. In the Middle Ages, Christians used pentagram to symbolize the five senses, the five wounds of Christ, and in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, it was the theme of five, was used uh, to represent the five senses and five fingers, five wounds of Christ, the five joys of Mary, and the five virtues of knighthood, <laughs> which are generosity, friendship, chastity, chivalry, and piety. And then in the Renaissance, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa used it as a symbol in magic. Eliphas Levi, he, and I quote, said, the pentagram expresses the mind's domination over the elements, and it is by this sign we bind the demons of the air, the spirits of fire, the specters of water, and the ghosts of earth. And it's from his writing and this quote that they that it's believed that the Golden Dawn took that idea and created the lesser uh, banishing ritual of the pentagram, kind of in the spirit of that of Levi's that teaching, vibe. that vibe. In Wicca, it according to one source that I read, it represents an active approach, circled as a pentacle. It contains and protects. And, of course, you know, if you go back to the pentacle, the circle around the pentagram represents eternity, life, nature cycles. It's interesting that the pentacle is so much younger than the pentagram. Right? It is interesting. The pentagram is much older mm-hmm. than, than what you would believe. And it is actually... The because of people like Eliphaz Levi equating it with demons, mm-hmm. so one of these dudes <laughs> said that if you inverted it, I was going to say, if, talk about the reverse. Yeah, pentagram. if you if you reverse it because of, and I believe it was Eliphaz Levi who said if you reverse it, then it becomes a demonic symbol. Mm-hmm. Represents, I think it's supposed to be drawing in evil spirits or something. And that's the energy that the the satanic panic people picked up. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting to me that it was really back in, as far back as in the Renaissance and the Romantic era, where it went from being pretty much strictly a positive sign mm-hmm. of, of power and unity and, you know, protection and mm-hmm. all these things to, oh, but if you flip it, <laughs> evil, evil. And so, and then, yeah, it, then Anton LaVey took it as a symbol of the Church of Satan. And then, right. you know, now it is equated. Yeah. Not just the reverse inverted pentacle, but the pentagram, or, or pentagram, or pentagram in general. But anything reversed, yeah. even reversed, it's not evil. You might say it has a different function. It has a different function. It you know it it represents 
the Church of Satan. I think it represents Baphomet. Horns. Yeah, the horns and things like that. But under what conditions would you use a pentagram versus a pentacle? Do you think there's any practical difference between them? Yeah, as far as a practical, if you're using it in magic mm -hmm. and you want to like encompass a circle of and create a circle of protection, it would make and you use circles mm -hmm. in your in your witchcraft and in your rituals as a means to create a sacred space, it makes perfect sense to me that you might use a pentacle to draw I, that sense of protection right. in, a, in a circular fashion. <laughs> so the circle would be preventing... Sort of delineating the space. Delineating the space and the, and the, the pentagram within... Would be that symbol of power. Would be that symbol of power and cohesion with the four elements. Rhiannon says, I wonder if it's the swapping of the pentacles meaning is part of why flipping the cross suddenly meant evil instead of St. Peter. That's a really good question. That's a very good question. Because, yeah, St. Peter, we don't know this for sure, but, you know. Right. The, the lore is. Church lore. Right. Which, that, you know what, is at least as authentic as the lore we have. Exactly. Because it really is. It's not, it's not in church canon. Yeah. It is church lore that when it was time for Peter to be executed by the Roman government, mm -hmm. he refused to be crucified in the way, in, the traditional, in the traditional manner, because that's how Jesus was crucified. And so he asked to be crucified upside down. It is a really good question of how did mm -hmm. that inverted cross, which was meant to be a, a sign of martyrdom, mm -hmm. faith in, in Christ, mm -hmm. And humility. And humility. Yeah, absolutely. It was meant to be a of, symbol of humility. You know, I, I can't match Christ. Don't even kill me the same way he does. Exactly. Died. It became, it has become a symbol of demon worship and mm -hmm. demon possession and hauntings and, you know, where demons are active. Which, you know, I think is a, is a really good point about the way these symbols evolve over time. Mm -hmm. Symbols don't mean anything on their own. No. Uh -uh. Symbols are shorthand stories. So their meaning is derived from our consensus agreement mm -hmm. on what that meaning is. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up about mm -hmm. the cross. And St. Peter. And yeah. St. Peter, because that's, that's a really good question. How did that happen? The only thing I can think of is movies. Mm -hmm. The Exorcist. Yeah. It made a big deal about... Perverting cross. the cross. Yeah. Now, so I, I, what I just said is that symbols don't mean anything on their own. That's actually a complicated concept because as an animist, on some level, I do believe these symbols have spirits. That's true. Like the symbol has a spirit, but I think the spirit of that symbol is influenced by how we engage with it. So like the original spirit of the inverted cross was the St. Peter Association. Mm -hmm. But I would not be surprised if over time as the way we interact with that symbol has changed, mm -hmm. the essence of that spirit has changed. So I guess I'll do one of my symbols now? Yeah. Okay. So I figured I'd start with the classic one for heathenry, which is Mjolnir. Thor's hammer! Thor's hammer! The spelling on that is M-J-O-L-N-I-R, because J's in Old Norse are pronounced more like Y's, so Mjolnir. Hammer time! time. Yep. <laughs> Mjolnir is described in the Eddas as a short-handled hammer. It was created by the dwarves for Thor. It was actually commissioned by Loki. And the reason it has a short handle is that Loki didn't want to pay the full price for these masterpieces he was commissioning. So he made a bet with them that they couldn't make masterpieces. And that, oh, if, that, Loki. that if they didn't, he wouldn't owe them anything. 
<laughs> so he, he transformed himself into a fly to bother them while they were working. And he succeeded in bothering the dwarf who was making Thor's hammer enough that the, the handle was just a little bit short. <laughs> and he was like, aha, I won. But it didn't, it didn't work out for him in the end anyway. <laughs> it shows up in the Edda's a ton. It features almost every time Thor does. He's like never without it. The one time he is without it, they go on a whole adventure to go get it back. So it's it's probably the most widely featured tool or weapon in the Norse canon, I would say. It's mentioned in a lot of places. It's usually visually represented with the handle facing up and the the double heads of the hammer horizontal. And it is almost always presented as a double-headed hammer. And the handle will be usually about the same length as the two heads of the hammer put together. So it's not like a war hammer, it's like a craftsman's hammer. So how did they do in the MCU universe with Thor's The, ha- the handle is a little bit too long. On <laughs> a little bit. The, the two heads are fine. The handle is a little longer than is traditional, mm-hmm. but it, otherwise it's fine. It was featured on a couple of rune stones and picture stones. A lot of, before the Eddas, we didn't have a lot of the stories written down from Norse mythology. But there were picture stones erected, which were big boulders that someone had carved images from various stories into. And Thor's fishing trip is is a very popular one (laughs) that features on a couple of picture stones. And Mjolnir is significantly featured. It also shows up on a couple of rune stones, which are less pictorial and more textual. Something interesting about rune stones and Mjolnir is that Thor using Mjolnir is one of the only instances we know of of asking the gods to bless or hallow a runestone. And actually blessing and hallowing is one of the primary functions of Mjolnir. Like Thor uses it to attack people. It's like a weapon. It's a weapon. He uses <laughs> it for that. He he uses it to attack various Jotnar and to kill his own goats to eat. <laughs> but Dude. But he also uses the power of Mjolnir to resurrect the goats afterwards. So there's a story where they kill and eat Thor's goats. And afterwards he has the skins laid aside to dry. And he has the bones of the goats laid on the skins. And the next morning he uses the healing power of Mjolnir to resurrect the goats whole and as they were before they were eaten, except that one of the farm kids cracked open a bone to suck the marrow out, and so one of the goats was lame, and Thor was very displeased about this. Aside from its use as a weapon and its mysterious healing powers, Mjolnir is used frequently in a ceremonial context to bless and sanctify things. Mm. So the story about how the one time Thor is without his hammer and has to go get it is that a, a giant has stolen it and is demanding Freya's hand in marriage as the ransom for returning Mjolnir. I remember this story. Yeah, so through many adventures, Loki and Thor go with Thor disguised as Freya to the giant's hall to pretend to be Freya and, and get married so that he can get close enough to the hammer to steal it back. If you want to hear this story, it's in one of our previous myths. How Thor eventually gets his hands on Mjolnir again is that it's a tradition in... Norse cultures to sanctify marriages by placing 
Thor's hammer, or a representative of Thor's hammer, in the bride's lap during the wedding. And in fact, in archaeological digs, we've found over a thousand Thor's hammer pendants, many of them in the graves of women. So it's thought that when women got married, they received a pendant, they received a pendant of Thor's hammer that blessed and sanctified them and sanctified their marriage, hallowed their marriage. That's cool. Yeah. The the overall gist of Mjolnir, of Thor's hammer, is that it's a symbol of protection against chaos. Mm. Not necessarily evil, but chaos. Mm -hmm. Things that are outside of your control. That's frequently represented by the Jotnar, which is why Thor is often described as an enemy of the Jotnar, and why Mjolnir is often described as the Jotun's bane, because it kills a lot of giants. But in general, its function is to protect against chaos, and so Thor is also a friend of farmers, mm -hmm. and his hammer protects fields, and gardens. and gardens, because Thor is also associated with storms. He brings rain. Thor is, Thor is associated with agriculture, tradesmen, workers of all kinds, the common man. And so Mjolnir is a common man's symbol, which is why once it started being worn as a pendant in the Viking Age, which was from about 793 to 1066, which is why we, we see so many of them. Not because they were a warrior's emblem, but because everybody could relate to Thor. Mm -hmm. And everybody needed what Thor brought, which was mm -hmm. protection against the chaotic forces in the world, which were very prevalent at that time in that place. Mm -hmm. It is thought that some of the reason there are so many Mjolnir pendants, because like I said, we found over a thousand in archaeological sites that are sometimes very sparse. Mm -hmm. They think part of the reason that Mjolnir pendants in particular picked up, and we started seeing them in more and more places, mm -hmm. in more and more diverse circumstances, is that during the Viking Age, which is when we start seeing them pick up, that was during the Christianization right. of the neighboring Anglo-Saxon territories. Mm -hmm. It was starting to spread into Scandinavian territories, which is possibly one of the contributing factors to the Viking Age becoming this age of conquest right. and colonization that they it became. Exactly. Thought is that the reason so many Vikings started wearing Mjolnir pendants was in response to the Christians wearing cross pendants that mm -hmm. they saw. It was kind of a, well, if they're wearing a symbol of their god, we should wear a symbol of our god who protects us against evil and chaos to show A, that we're not like them. Mm -hmm. and B, that we're also protected by a very important person. Rhiannon says, the Thor protector of women forward slash lesbians makes so much more sense now. It's not just because of the MCU version. Yeah, no, nope. Thor is just a protector of peoples. Yes. A protector of anyone who is facing chaotic circumstances. Mm -hmm. Thor's job is make your life easier. Yeah, and that makes more sense now why I felt drawn to work with Thor. Uh-huh, yeah. This past spring and summer. Yeah. Wow. You were dealing with a lot of chaos? I was dealing with a lot of fucking chaos. Yeah. Hail Thor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thor's entire job is sort of maintaining civilization by, sometimes by force, you know, mm -hmm. by beating up the things that are causing you problems. Right. And Mjolnir is the symbol of both beating up the thing that's causing you problems and just sort of exuding a general aura of sacredness and protection and society Wow, and healing. That's very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. There's a lot more it's, going uh, on there than you realize. There really is. Mjolnir is actually a very potent, complex symbol. It's an object with a lot of power built into it. 
Thor is clearly a lot more complex yes. than than you first. He's realized. not just a big dumb meathead warrior. He, yeah. There's a lot going on with Thor. Yeah, <laughs> that's very cool. He does occasionally have himbo energy, but that's <laughs> <laughs> that is fascinating. Seriously, and now I really seriously think we should get some Mjolnir's for outside mm -hmm. to put on our. Uh huh on our porch mm -hmm. <laughs> and near your garden and near my garden just as an aside although most of the mjolnir pendants that we found are from the viking age right representations on runestones and picture stones are from further back and there are nordic bronze age petroglyphs mm. of figures carrying hammer or axe-like tools. So this has been around for a long time. Yeah, so it's thought that whatever figure that represented in the Nordic Bronze Age culture, that figure became Thor and Mjolnir. Very interesting. So, long history. Long history. Very cool. Join our Tiger Crystal at Apothecary Tees. This shop produces fragrant, aesthetically beautiful teas that delight all the senses with handcrafted tea blends from white to red to green. This week, I recommend warming up your winter with the Campfire Blend, composed of Russian Caravan black tea, cinnamon, clove, and safflower. Find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on Facebook at Apothecary Teas, LLC. I think you should read Midnight Dove's comment. <laughs> Midnight Dove says, would wearing Thor's hammer help with Loki since he loves bringing chaos into his followers' lives? Your mileage may vary because Loki is sort of Thor's weird uncle. So sometimes... He apparently gifted him or got... Got him the hammer in the first place. Got him the hammer yeah. in the first place. So... A little shadily, but... You your know. mileage very much may vary depending on like how much Thor feels like yelling at his weird uncle today. <laughs> if it's more of a Loka Senna moment he'll feel like yelling at his weird uncle. If it's not, he may not feel like it. <laughs> they have a very complex and weird relationship in the mythology. But Loki has a complex and weird relationship with everybody. 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 Yeah. <laughs> He's complex and weird. Loki is, yeah. Loki is Thor's weird uncle in the way that He's not actually related, but is like the family friend that you're supposed to call your uncle mm -hmm. because he's been like friends with your dad for a thousand years. Literally. <laughs> yeah. And they're technically blood brothers, which is sort of like adoption, but not really. So like legally, Loki's not his uncle, but like practically Loki's his uncle. It's complicated. Hence where the weird comes. Uh-huh. Rhiannon, <laughs> <laughs> I just picture Thor trying to decide if he really wants to fight at the Thanksgiving this time or just let it go. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's... <laughs> That's the calculation that's going on every time, yeah. Does this matter or is, not? Is this worth getting into a fight over? Is this the kind of chaos I should be hitting him with, with a hammer about, or is this the kind of chaos I should just throw up my hands and walk away from? <laughs> my next one is, obviously, the Strophalos. I'm not surprised. <laughs> the interesting thing, though, is that the origin of what we know as the Strophalos mm -hmm. is actually unknown. Okay. It's kind of murky. The connection to Hecate is a little bit tenuous as well. So mm. it, it's very, it's really only mentioned as a symbol of Hecate in the Chaldean Oracles. Okay. It's fragment 194 of the Chaldean Oracles it is described as a tool of evocation of Hecate. Now here's the thing. People are like, what the hell is a Strophilus? Because you've seen, I'm, I'm yes. sure you've seen, it looks kind of like a labyrinth with a little like fire thing. You're really going to have to describe this one. Um, it, it's, well, it's, 
it depends because like some versions of it, mm-hmm. it's a serpent. Some it's kind of a labyrinth with a, a flame in the middle. And it's a very, like, it's a very specific labyrinth. Yeah, it's a very specific shape. And it's got kind of a clover yeah. element to it. But here's the thing. It is both a symbol and a tool. And I'm looking at it right now and it's got like a sort of a three mm-hmm. clovery energy to its in the center yeah and then it's got like a surrounding circle Mm -hmm. but the circle surrounding it is broken Mm -hmm. as a symbol there's a belief that it represents hecate in her triple form in her hence the the three right clover thing um and it has been used in modern times by hellenic reconstructionists as well as dianic traditional wiccans to represent the greek mythologies or mm-hmm. to represent their path in that way and modern hecateans have adopted the strophalos uh as a symbol of hecate and you'll see them wearing it and using it in their rituals rhiannon gray says i always just have known that as hecate's maze mm-hmm. so that may be another name people it's, know yes it's hecate's maze hecate's wheel mm-hmm. here is the interesting thing it is also a tool right and it is not just this circular symbol with the... It's also something that is called an ainx. In ancient Greece, the ainx was... Basically, it was a circular or sometimes it was triangular piece of wood or metal or mm-hmm. what with a string. Mm-hmm. And you would work it in such a way by twisting the string and then pulling it and getting a rhythm going and it would make a sound. Mm. And you would use it to... So it's like a musical instrument. Sort of. And you would use it as a, a form of evocation. You would say Hakati's name or... And right. that's what they use it for a lot now. Or just evoking of a deity or... Okay. People, so it's meant, a religious tool. It's a religious tool. Not like a tool tool that you used to, like, to make something. Right. And here's the interesting thing is Ainx was actually a... a um, a nymph, I believe, the daughter, one of Pan's daughters, who was cursed. Transformed into something. Transformed into a bird. Uh-huh. And the traditional ancient Greek ainx was actually this string or leather-thonged instrument with this bird hanging from mm-hmm. it, right? But somehow that got connected to Hecate. It, again, it's murky. The, yeah. the because the only real mention of it is in is in uh, of Hecate and the Strophilos and the Ainx is, is in the, the, the Chaldean oracles. Yep. And isn't that the one that goes very hard on Hecate? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've I've read. There's a, a very interesting blog written by Sarita de Est. Mm-hmm. You know about you know what is the connection. Now, here's the interesting thing that I read in Sarita's blog post, and she said. More so than what we know of as the Strophilos, mm-hmm. that kind of mazy looking thing. Mm-hmm. In the uh, t- her temple at Lagina, there are actually sun wheels that have been carved into the steps. Okay. Four, four spoked and eight spoked sun wheels. There is symbology of a circle with some kind of a like a maze type thing. Mm-hmm. Not specifically what we know of as the Strophilos today, but something similar. Sundial even would be a better way to say okay. it. I don't know. But anyway, so there's there's some people who think maybe that's where the connection with her temple at Lagina and what we know and what the Strophilos is and how that connection became popular. Gotcha. And she, in my opinion, is the expert to go to yeah, for, <laughs> for religious Hakati information. Yeah, because she's 
an incredible researcher. She really, she's been to the temple mm-hmm. of uh, Lagina, researched Hecate for years, written several books. Yeah. Very highly regarded. Um, yeah. So when she says that the, well, yes, modern Hecateans and modern Wiccans and neo-pagans have adopted the Strophilos mm-hmm. as a Hecatean symbol. And what symbol was more likely her symbol in ancient times. May have been something a little bit different. Gotcha. Doesn't mean it wasn't. But it's just that it's a very thin thread because it's really only just from this one from this source. One source. Yeah. And it's a source that we know loves Hecate and attributes a lot of things to her. Yeah, exactly. But because, you know, but symbols, as you say, they, they change over time. Mm -hmm. They, they form. And so now it has become right. Whatever the Strophilos originally was. Exactly. And it is today used as a, as a tool of evocation. It is used as, um, you know, a symbol of her, of her, of her triple nature. It has become Mm -hmm. Hecate's symbol. It just may not have been in antiquity. Exactly. And she's so freaking old, right. you know. She probably had different symbols before probably, that temple was made. She probably did because yeah. she's thousands of years old. And she had different myths and qualities back then, too. Exactly. Really, it's just the name that's persisted. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there's so much we don't know about Hikati. And there's there's a question about the name, even. Yeah, exactly. So there's so much we don't know about her. She's very enigmatic. She's very ancient. Mm-hmm. All right. So, appropriately, I'm also going to be discussing a symbol with uncertain age, attribution, and meaning (laughs) (laughs) dubiously connected to a deity. There you go. (laughs) And I think that's important to note that just because it doesn't necessarily have an ancient history with it doesn't mean... Nothing we can verify for sure. Nothing that we can verify. doesn't make it not meaningful now because it is now attached to whatever deity or purpose it is. But you do need to distinguish between things that are modern or Mm UPG-based and things that are archaeologically based evidence. Exactly. And it's okay if it's modern UPG. Yes. It doesn't have to be ancient to be legit. Just acknowledge that it's not ancient. That's one of the things that frustrates me. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be ancient to be legitimate. Yeah. And when you pretend that it's ancient to lend it legitimacy, all you do is make yourself look like an idiot and an asshole. And my second symbol is the Volknut. Oh, that's funny because I'm going to bring that up later. (laughs) So... It is three interlocking triangles. They're drawn in a number of different ways. It's drawn in a lot of different ways, presented differently in different forms in different places, but it's always three interlocking triangles. Vaknut is actually a modern name for it. We don't know what the symbol was called back in the day. We have one semi-plausible theory about what it might have been called in antiquity. Hrugnisharta or Hrungnir's heart. And we think it might have been called that because one place in the Prose Edda... One place! Here we are again. Uh-huh. One spot. One spot in the Prose Edda, which the authoritativeness of is questionable. There is a line where they describe Hrungnir's heart as being made of hard stone with three sharp-pointed corners. And then it is described as being like the carving called Hrugnir's Harta, Hrugnir's Heart. So it's a sort of a circular explanation of what Hrugnir's Heart looks like this thing called Hrugnir's Heart. <laughs> okay. So it's unclear whether Snorri is describing a symbol he doesn't know the name of and calling it Hrugnir's Heart because he wants to 
use it visually as the symbol for the heart of this giant, mm -hmm. or whether it was a symbol that was called Prugnis Harta, and he made up a story about it being the heart of a giant called Prugnir. Or maybe a combination of the two. Or a combination of the two, or whether it was called Prugnis Harta and was genuinely supposed to represent the heart of a giant for some reason. We have no idea. This is the one textual reference we might have to this symbol. Mm -hmm. So it might in antiquity have been called Prugnis Harta. That might have been something Snorri made up. It might have been a completely unrelated symbol we don't have any other evidence for. We do not know. But today, it is called the Valknut. We do have pictorial representations of what we now call the Valknut and what I will continue to call the Valknut for the rest of the section for brevity. Um, <laughs> we do have several representations of the Valknut in ancient picture stones and rune stones and in a few other places. Mm -hmm. So it's on one Anglo-Saxon ring. It's on uh, a couple of picture stones that might the figures in the picture stones might be representations of Odin, mm -hmm. unclear. And it's in two places in the Osberg ship burial, which is one of the best preserved archaeological finds in the entire Scandinavian subject. The Osberg ship burial was a huge find. Opened a lot of eyes to a yeah. lot of things. It was extraordinarily well preserved. It tells us a lot about what ship burials were like, mm -hmm. at least for the very rich. The Osberg ship burial is a big deal. And the Valknut features in two places in the Osberg ship burial. It's carved in one decoratively carved pillar, and it is on the Osberg ship tapestry, which was found amongst the grave goods in the Osberg ship burial. Associated in the modern day with Odin because we mostly see it around figures who are wielding spears and are surrounded by wolves and ravens, which are two animals strongly associated with Odin. And Odin is associated with a particular spear called Gungnir, but a big part of the reason that these figures have been identified as Odin mm -hmm. is because the Valknut is there. So there's a bit of a chicken and an egg scenario. Right. Is the Valknut associated with Odin because it's around these figures, or are we associating these figures with Odin because they're around the Valknut? Right. Unclear on that front. The spear and the raven and the wolves could all definitely be symbols of Odin, but we don't know for sure that they're symbols of Odin because the stories, the picture stories that are being represented aren't ones we have Record textual of. records of. It's not like the picture stones where we have, like we see Thor's fishing story, mm -hmm. where we know that story. We see Thor with his hammer and the Midgard serpent, and we know it, this is referring to that story. Mm -hmm. Like we have a picture stone of a figure with a spear pushing someone into a grave and there's a raven overhead mm -hmm. and there's a Valknut on the spear. And so we don't know that that's like, there's not a story where that happens. Right. Like it could be maybe a representation of like an early version of the story of Mimmer's well. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there was an early version where Odin put Mimmer's whole body in the well. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is supposed to be representing. But we can't prove that. 
So we don't know if this is actually Odin or if this is some unrelated figure and the Valknut means something else. Right. Because we see the Valknut in two places in this ship burial, and because in the picture stones where we see it, it's associated with people being pushed into graves or killed, hanged on gallows, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We have reason to believe the Valknut is at the very least associated with death in some way. Mm-hmm. And Odin does have a lot of connections to death. Right. But, like, equally, so does Hela. Right. So, like, hard to say. Right. In the modern day, the Valknut is usually seen as a representation of Odin. There are some theories about what it might represent. Some people say it does represent the heart of Hrugnir, that it represents this giant's heart, and Odin and Hrugnir had a whole interaction. Unclear why he would still be carrying it around, but it could be that that's uh, what it's supposed to represent. It could be, there's there's at least one scholar who whose theory is that it represents... Odin's ability to bind and unbind the minds of people. Mm -hmm. But that isn't, in my opinion, an extremely strong theory. Mm -hmm. Because it's not usually described in that way. Brandon Gray says, okay, I'm sure you're going to get to it, but the cursory Google I just did on this thing... And it's saying those who wear it are swearing themselves to Odin and how because they did they'll die violent deaths is big eyes energy. Yeah, that's modern UPG bullshit. Like I said, we have no proof that this is connected to Odin. We do have some evidence, like I said, that it's associated with death. Rhiannon says, like, Odin so far makes sense, or even the death knot thing, but that you'll die violently if you wear or tattoo it sounds like it was written by a Christian. I think it was not a Christian. I think it was some early edgelord heathens who started that personally. But yes, there's a modern superstition that if you wear the Valknut, you've sworn yourself to Odin and you'll die in battle so that he can take you to Valhalla. There's no, no evidence of that whatsoever. Like I said, the Valknut is associated in some way most of the time with death and maybe with Odin, but we can't prove it. In the modern day, the Valknut is associated with Odin because... Who else would you associate it with, given the evidence that we have, basically? Right. It's just a leap in logic, I guess. Exactly, yeah. It's not, like, a completely nonsensical concept. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see exactly why people think it is. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those, we can't prove it. Right. The, The reason I personally hesitate to attribute it to Odin is that we don't know what it's supposed to represent. Right. We don't know if it's supposed to represent the giant's heart. We don't know if it's supposed to represent some kind of knot. Or, or binding. If it is supposed to represent a knot or a binding, it could equally be referring to maybe tear. If it's supposed to be the the fetter that binds fenrisulfur, mm. like there are numbers, a of- number. Uh, it, it could be related in that case to Sigin. There are there are a lot of associations you could make to it if it's just uh, supposed to represent a knot or a tangle. And beyond that. It may not represent anything tangible at all. Mm -hmm. It may just be a stylized representation of the number nine, which has a lot of uh, important associations in Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it could be intended to represent the nine worlds. You know, I mean, it could be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think personally, I think we don't know enough about the Valknut to make any claims about what it's... Yeah, about what it's 
purpose or use case is. We do not have enough evidence right. to make a definitive conclusion. Right. So the, the Vulcanet is today largely associated with Odin. And the real reason you should be cautious of the Vulcanet is not because it is associated with Odin or death. It's because it's associated with white supremacists. And there you go. The Nazis like the Vulcanet because they think it's associated with Odin and they think Odin would like them. He would not, but they think that, so they wear the Vulcanet a lot. So if you see it, walk the other way. Yeah, it's one of those difficult situations where, like... Lots of people will wear the Valknut who are not white supremacists, especially if they're personally associated with Odin. You know, like, Sarenth might wear a Valknut. I don't know. Like, just a regular old Odin's man might wear a Valknut. Mm -hmm. It does have those associations, so... If I saw a heathen I didn't know wearing a Vulcanut, I wouldn't necessarily walk the other way, but I would start questioning. Right. I would start asking the questions to find, to, to do my Nazi radar check mm -hmm. <laughs> and try to assess where this person was on the spectrum. Uh, Rihanna Gray says, was about to say it looks kind of cool, but like it doesn't sound like it'd be that popular with most modern heathens. Yeah, it's mostly popular in with the people who work closely with Odin. In the, in the non-white supremacist sphere of, uh, of heathenry. Mostly only people who work with Odin primarily mm -hmm. will will use a Valkanut. Which is interesting because we do have other symbols you could use for Odin. Like you could use Gugnir, um, the spear. Mm -hmm. um, you can use ravens and wolves. Those are heavily associated with Odin mm -hmm. in antiquity. More definitively than the Valkanut is. But I think because the Valkanut is an abstract symbol, like a cross. Yeah. Or like Mjolnir, mm -hmm. it feels to people more like it should be the kind of symbol that's associated with a god. Mm. I think there's a level of abstraction that people want with their symbols um, that isn't present in some of the other symbols associated with Odin. And that's part of the reason that the Valkanut has gotten picked up by modern heathens and mm -hmm. has been so heavily, so strongly associated with Odin. Because even though the connection is tenuous, it's a connection to an abstractified symbol mm -hmm. that you could wear to honor him. I think gotcha. that's where it comes from. Join our Tiger Amanda and relax with the salts of Wonderful Body Co. These soaks and scrubs inspired by popular books and characters are designed to delight multiple senses with fragrant scents and sparkling mica. You can also find rollerball fragrances and hair oils. With dozens of options available, you're sure to find something you like in the Wonderful Body Co. collection. This week, Ode is recommending Second Breakfast with scents of mulberry and clove. Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash wonderful body co. Hail Dictinus. Hail Dictinus. Set things on fire. So now that you have talked about the Volknut, mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about the Trekwetra. Very similar symbol. In fact, it mentions the Volknut uh -huh. in, in my reading. The Trequetra, I found out, is actually an archaeological term for any figure consisting of three arcs, including a pin, the pinwheel design that is similar to the, tris, the Triskelis mm -hmm. that you see. They say the, the Trequetra is probably over 5,000 years old. It's an Iron Age mm -hmm. symbol. And it has been associated with, with the Celts. Mm -hmm. It has been associated with Northern Europe and early German coins, mm -hmm. which is where the it does bear resemblance to the Volknut in some of the early German coinage. Yeah. 
And like I said, the Valkonote is drawn in a number of different ways, and mm -hmm. some of them look more like a triquetra. Right. So there's an influence of mm -hmm. the triquetra, but they're different symbols. It is known as the Trinity Knot. It is found in, especially particularly in Celtic areas, areas and from about the seventh century forward. About the seventh century is when we start seeing the Valkonote as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And you find it a lot in their metalwork and their jewelry and, you know, anything, any of their intricate design work that they did in their carvings and things, but also in their illuminated manuscripts at when uh, Christianity started coming mm -hmm. in and, and doing stuff. Its original meaning and intention is actually unknown. They, they, you know, it's so old. Mm -hmm. Nobody There's knows. There's no way. There's no way to know why it has been inscribed on stones mm -hmm. and in buildings and long times. I'm going to be honest. On some level, I wonder if some of these most ancient symbols mm -hmm. were that Superman S that everyone draws in elementary school, mm -hmm. where just like, it's a cool shape we can make. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's who knows. It was, you know, like I said, it's 5,000 plus years old. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very highly important to the Celts. Some people say that depending on which culture you're talking about, it, it represents potentially three. That threes are very important. Right, just the concept, the concept of, three of three. So you've got, you know, those who believe, especially with the Celtic connection, that it could represent land, sea, and sky. Mm -hmm. So that would be a druid connection there. Um, some believe it could be symbolic of life, death, and rebirth. Some believe it, it and it has been adopted in modern times as uh, a representation of the triple deities, because you've got a, several triple deities in Celtic, Celtic lore. Areas, yeah. And so it, it's just any of those triple knot unity designs. And Christians use this one too. Yes. They, and they actually adopted it. Mm -hmm. And they probably, it's when they took over, you know, Celtic lands. Yeah, and, and they were trying to integrate. And that's how it became part of their illuminated manuscripts. Mm -hmm. Like, it's part of the Book of Kells. Yeah. Um, and they used the, the Trequetra, the triple knot that we're familiar with from Charmed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they used it to represent the Trinity mm -hmm. of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. So, yeah. So, you'll see the Trequetra. All over, they, they put it on top of early tombstones that mm -hmm. were designed by, like yeah. crosses, the yep. Celtic cross. Yeah, there will be a triquetra in the center. Yeah, so even though, you know, a lot of what we see in the Celtic version came out beginning around the 7th century, mm -hmm. um, it has existed for, for much longer than that. We just, nobody really knows for sure what the Why they were making why it. Why they were making it, because it's not really... Courted, right? Was there? Was it just decorative? Did it have a meaning? So, Who knows? But it has become a very popular uh, over the centuries motif. Motif is obviously you see a triquetra, you automatically think of the Celts mm -hmm. and and Irish designs and yep. and things of that nature, neo pagans and Wiccans. Uh, and which is, but can't say that they that Christians stole it necessarily from the Celts because mm. it it was everywhere. Yeah, everyone had it. Everyone everywhere. had it everywhere. Various cultures had right. it. It's, it's one of our most ancient symbols because it's an ancient, ancient symbol. It was adopted and can be found in multiple cultures. Mm -hmm. It's just that it really became enmeshed with the Celtic culture. Yeah. They really embraced it and made it part of. And so their design work. And so now, even if you find a triquetra that originates in some other culture, 
and show it to someone, they will tell you it's Irish. Mm -hmm. They will tell you it's Celtic. Yeah. So they will not believe you if you tell them it came from Germany. Yeah, because but it, there it was very popular in Northern Europe. It was very uh -huh. popular in early German. So yeah, it, it's just a symbol that you see that, it in Arabic coins. Yeah, sometimes. exactly. They you see it there. The, I think they said there was some uh, there were some other cultures that it's, have it. I think it was, Japan yeah, has their it, own version of it. It's very widespread symbol. It's a very widespread symbol. I think we can let the Christians off the hook. Yeah, on this one. On this one. Because <laughs> it just, as far as anyone knows, it just means three things. Yeah. So, so it, they have as much claim to it as anybody. Yeah. So it, it really, has, it, it's on all kinds of continents mm -hmm. and all kinds of, uh, in all kinds of symbology. It does tend to represent three. I think the triquetra, what I like about the triquetra, if you can divorce it from the, the modern association with just the Celtic culture, mm -hmm. is that it's sort of our universal um, human inheritance is the triquetra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it really is. And so it, I would encourage you to look into it. It's actually pretty interesting to see how many cultures and how many mm -hmm. variations. Mm -hmm. Because again, triquetra is not actually the name of that specific symbol that no. we know from Charmed. But it, there, but there, it's part of the family of, yeah. of yeah. triquetra. Tri triquetra is a family in, in the sense of like um, evolutionary families. Yeah, exactly. And it's become the name of one specific symbol, but it actually means of a family of any of these three arcs that are continuous. Mm -hmm. they're, they're joined continuously. They have no start, no stop. Uh, familiar theme in all of its variations mm -hmm. is it is continuous. There are no breaks. It's like the five-pointed star. You can draw it all with one line. Yeah, exactly. So there's a unity mm -hmm. within there. And so I just, I was floored when I realized how old it was and how widespread its use is. Triquetras and sun wheels are yeah. like the most ancient, most widespread symbols on earth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I will say that for me, you know, when I was uh, first starting out as a witch, I wore a triquetra. It's great for when you're stealth. Yeah, it's a great for when you're stealth. Because you can tell Christians that it's a, a symbol of the because Trinity. Because see, you'll see it in Christian churches yeah. and on Christian Bibles and on Christian hymnals and mm -hmm. all kinds of Christian literature, whether it's Catholic or Protestant. Yeah. <laughs> so you can just tell any Christian you meet that it symbolizes the Trinity. Yeah. You don't even have, don't yeah, specify what trinity. which trinity. Yeah, then just, yeah. they'll assume it's theirs. You know, and so that's why I used to wear it. That was my symbol. There are so many symbols. Yes. So many religious and spiritual symbols out there. It's really an interesting An study. unfathomable number. Yeah, and it's really interesting to kind of find out how they became associated and the relationships of similarities mm -hmm. of symbols and From symbology and cultures. Like the, and there's a cohesiveness in our symbols, mm -hmm. and I think it brings it brings to to light something you said earlier: is the symbol itself doesn't have meaning until we give it one. Right. Its meaning is defined by our interaction with it. Yeah, exactly. I think like, that's how I would just. I, I think symbols are interesting because we we use them in our rituals. We use them in our magic. Mm -hmm. We use in our daily lives to designate who we are in our spiritual path if we feel like we want to make a, a public statement. And I think symbols are communal. Mm -hmm. They're inherently communal. Yeah. A symbol that only means something to you is nowhere near as powerful as a symbol that means something to everyone. Exactly. And that's why, like, when I am wearing my strophalos mm -hmm. and I see another person wearing a strophalos. You can make a reasonable assumption. I can assumption. make a reasonable assumption that they are either Hecatean or they're uh, involved with Greek mythology mm -hmm. in some way. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's the reason why Christians wear crosses mm-hmm. and why. And like in ye olden days, why they had the Jesus fish thing. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, symbols identify each other. Yeah. They allow us to talk to each other and pass meaning to each exactly. other. They allow us to encode yes. huge amounts of information in a very small into space. small spaces. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody, every culture know, has every some culture symbols. has symbols. Taking it out of a religious context, a flag mm-hmm. is a symbol of a nation. That's right. That's all it does yep. is symbolize the nation. But when you see that, you can say, oh, hey. I know why this looks this way. Yeah. I know what it means. It has associations to me and my culture, whether it's my nation or not. All of this information about that nation is encoded in the symbol of the flag. Yeah. The, all the various flags. All the flag various flags. flags. You know, it's the, it's the same. But there's principle. a reason we made flags. Mm-hmm. Reason we have symbols, period. And we've always had them. Mm-hmm. We, the triquetra. Swan says emojis too. Yeah. Yeah. The triquetra and and other symbols, the the sun dot, the sun wheels, the pentagram mm-hmm. that have been around for thousands of years from the Stone Age. Yep. These Written. symbols meant something to the to our ancient ancestors just as much as they mean something to us today. Rhiannon Gray says, There's so many symbols out there that span not only centuries, but thousands of miles, mm-hmm. even in cultures that could have never had any sort of meaning, like the Star of David and the Japanese Kagome Crest. Religious meanings or not, the power of some shapes is so wild. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're an animist... Those shapes have spirits, mm-hmm. and those spirits are doing things. Exactly. Uh, and they're interacting with us and changing us, and we're changing them. It's a very interesting dialogue that we're in with these shapes over thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so I have to say I agree with Rhiannon and Gray. Symbols are just a cool fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think on that note... Yeah, we're going to gonna wrap it up. <laughs> I think we've said all we can say about symbols. Mm-hmm. But I encourage you, if you haven't really given much thought... To the origin of the symbols you of the use, sacred symbols of the use, sacred yeah. symbols that you use, do a little research. Find out where they came from, yeah. what they mean, what they meant in what the past, they meant and what they mean now, because mm-hmm. they do change. Mm-hmm. If this is the first episode you've listened to, you can find more of our podcast by googling the number three and the letters P A A C, or the number three and the words pagans and a cat. We're on a whole bunch of social medias that we don't use. <laughs> we have. A Facebook group that I don't check on, and a Discord group that I religiously moderate. I peek into the Facebook group. I'll be a little more active soon. Uh huh. In February, starting, starting mid February, so, I'll get to be more active on YouTube, on Facebook. Yeah. So Facebook group. If you've been enjoying your modless time, prepare for the return of the mods. Yep. And uh, a little more writing. Uh huh. YouTube. We do have a YouTube channel, both mm-hmm. for Three Pagans and a Cat. And for Gwyn, it's got of three pagans and a cat. It's got some stuff on it. It's a little yeah. behind, but yeah. But there's some things you could watch yep. from from ago. <laughs> we got a red bubble. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. We do have some fun little merch things. Yeah, I think that's. And of course, if, if you want to support us, all oh, right, we have a Patreon. We have a Patreon. If you if you think that we're worth listening to, mm-hmm. share us with friends and family mm-hmm. who might be interested. Or if you've just got people who don't understand why you are a pagan or a witch. Right. Send them to us. Send them to us and we'll try to help explain send, it. Send them to whichever episode is most relevant to the argument you're having. That's right. Um, we'll be happy to assist in our, our very vocal. <laughs> well, we've, been, we've been doing this for several years now. Yes. And we will continue to do it. Okay, goodbye. Yes, yes. All right. We love you, (laughs) and we'll talk at you later. Literally, talk at you. At you, yeah. That's what we do.